This is Echozoi Radio, episode 56 for December 2012, with guest Tony Miano on biblical evangelism. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Andy Olson, and this is episode 56, the December 2012 episode of Echo Zoe Radio. My guest this month is Tony Miano, a former L.A. County Sheriff's deputy. Now retired from the badge, Tony has focused his labors on spreading the gospel through one-on-one evangelism and public open-air preaching. Our discussion for this episode focuses on biblical evangelism. I pray that you'll find Tony's experiences both on the street and working alongside Ray Comfort at Living Waters, both encouraging and informative. Here's my discussion with Tony. Well, welcome, Tony. Uh, thanks so much for taking some time to come on Echo Zoe Radio and talk to us about biblical evangelism. Well, thank you very much for having me. I got to start with the obvious question before I get into anything else. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? No, absolutely <laughs> not. No. <laughs> No, the the only thing good about me is Jesus Christ. <laughs> but in my flesh, there's nothing good. And we'll get into why you say that as we go on this show. But uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, t- please tell us a little bit about yourself, your ministry. Your uh... well, I'm uh, uh, I'm uh, happily married to my beautiful wife Maria for a little more than 27 years now. We have uh, three grown daughters, Michelle, who is 25, Marissa, who is 23, and Amanda, who is uh, 18. We were a homeschool family uh, for uh, most of their lives for about uh, 15 years uh, until uh, we just finished. We just closed that season of our life when the, Amanda, our youngest, uh, headed off to, to college. And so... Uh, that was a great blessing in our lives. I, I served as a deputy sheriff here in Los Angeles County for 20 years, uh, retired in 2007. Um, I've been serving in full-time ministry for about 15 years now. Uh, served as a church planter uh, while I was attending the Master Seminary here in Southern California. Uh, started a ministry called 10-4 Ministries, which was a missionary work to uh, the law enforcement community, and that is uh, still going, being uh, led by uh, another brother behind the badge and in Christ. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for four and a half years, I served with uh, Living Waters, uh, the ministry that produces uh, The Way of the Master with uh, Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron. Wonderful ministry. Yeah. And then uh, in July of this year, became a free agent. Um, and I am now serving the Lord full time out on the streets as uh, a street evangelist and hoping to raise up and train the next generation of open-air preachers. Well, amen. Yeah, I, I was a bit surprised to read of your departure from Living Waters and, and a bit saddened to see that. But Yeah, and, and I was too, but it was uh, it was entirely financial. Yeah. Uh, 
the the Lord has greatly blessed that ministry over the years, and with the economic downturn, has really sustained that ministry uh, beyond what many other ministries far larger than Living Waters mm-hmm. uh, had experienced during the downturn. But eventually, the economy caught up with the ministry, and they had to pare down uh, some of their staffing, and that included me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a it's a new season that we weren't ready for. We thought our missionary days were. We're over, my wife and I, uh, mm-hmm. but the Lord had other plans. So we're looking forward to this next adventure of, of uh, being out on the streets, proclaiming the gospel full time. Yeah. Well, so I want to get into the biblical evangelism. My first question here is, is uh, I want to, well, I want to read a passage from Mark sixteen fifteen. It says, go into the, all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, a weighty but wonderful command, but the, this particular passage of scripture doesn't come with a manual. Looking at all of scripture, what is the pattern that we can draw to, out to help us understand what is really involved in preaching the gospel and sharing our faith with others? Well, what is what is really involved uh, first is opening our mouths. Um, you know, the Word of God uh, declares in Romans ten uh, fourteen to seventeen, "How will they hear without a preacher?" the The gospel is both a spoken and a written message. Uh, most of the people uh, in the days of the early church could not read, so they relied on the few people who could to read them the letters of, of Paul and and the other apostles and and the gospels and the uh, and the law of God. Um, but uh, the gospel is is verbally communicated, and so the first thing is being willing to open your mouth. Um, next, not in importance, but. Uh, the next step is what comes out of your mouth, and that should be the gospel, that God the Father sent his Son to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man and without sin, lived the sinless life that we cannot live, voluntarily went to the cross, suffered and died for uh, crimes he did not commit to take upon himself the punishment we rightly deserve for our sins against God, and then forever defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. Uh, you know, oftentimes this term biblical evangelism is is misunderstood, and it, and it's unfortunate that we even need to use that term. Mm-hmm. We should we should be able to simply say evangelism, mm-hmm. but but there is so much in the world today that is done under the auspices of evangelism that is not evangelism that the term biblical evangelism uh, had to be coined, and that is basically bringing the law to the proud. And grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We bring the law of God to people uh, to bring them to a knowledge of their sin, to bring them to a knowledge of the holiness of God. And the Lord uses his law to prepare the sinful heart to hear the gospel of his amazing grace and the cross of Jesus Christ. So... I, I really appreciate this method that uh, you know you've you use uh, Ray Comfort uses with Living Waters. That's kind of how I've gotten to know you is through Wretched and through uh, Way of the Master on the Box. Uh, this uh, concept of using the law. What can you say about other methods? That well, it's it, it, at Living Waters. We we've always. Uh, sometimes there's no way around it, but we've always tried to avoid using the word method. Mm-hmm. We we prefer the term principle. 
because methodology has a tendency to be uh, man-centered, man-made, whereas principles are drawn from something else. Mm -hmm. And we see these principles of bringing the law to the proud and grace to the humble throughout Scripture. We We see Jesus do it with the woman at the well. Uh, he establishes a rapport with this woman that, according to uh, Jewish custom, he had absolutely no business talking to. And once that rapport was established, he immediately confronts her of her of her sin of adultery. Mm-hmm. Go go and get your husband. I don't have a husband. You've answered rightly that you do not have a husband. You've had five, and the man you're with now is not your husband. Now, granted, our Lord and Savior has the benefit of omniscience, uh, where he didn't have to ask the lady if she ever committed adultery, for he knew her heart. Mm -hmm. But he began that conversation not by telling the woman about the wonderful plan he had for her life, but by confronting him, or confronting her, rather, about about her sin. Mm -hmm. And then he presented uh, grace to her. We see it again with uh, the rich young ruler. Uh, the very first thing uh, Jesus does when this presumptive man comes up and and bows down before him and says, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus immediately confronts him of his uh, notions of goodness. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. For he knew the man's heart. He knew that the man uh, d- defined goodness based on the things he did, based on keeping the law. Right. And uh, going back to my first question when we first started. Yes, and, to, and, that's and, and G- in. yeah, and Jesus, um, Jesus takes him through the law. Of course, the the man proudly asserts that he's done all those things since his youth. But then Jesus got to the crux of the matter and called him on his idolatry. Go sell everything you own. He had many possessions. Go sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the man walked away grieved mm-hmm. because the man was not willing to give up his God, his riches, to serve and worship the one true God. And Jesus Jesus didn't run after him and say, wait, 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 you know, I'm, I'm lonely without you, or I know you have this God-shaped hole in your heart that only <laughs> I can fill. Uh, come over to my house for a no-strings barbecue and we'll talk this over. He let the man walk away grieved because the man was proud the man was not repentant mm-hmm. and and Jesus didn't present to him uh grace uh we see Paul speaking of the Jewish leaders uh, of his day in Romans chapter 2 do you say that you you know do not steal but you rob temples and 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 so he confronts them he confronts them with their own with their own law and uh, and so we see these principles throughout Scripture of bringing the law to people to uh, to bring them to an understanding that not only have they sinned but they have sinned against God and and one of the reasons why this is so important today, especially in American evangelicalism, is because so many churches have made sin uh, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually make people comfortable in the fact that, hey, you're like the rest of us. We're all imperfect people. You're welcome here. We're all sinners. We all have short, and we come up with all these soft words, you know, shortcomings, hangups, hurts, 
uh, and, and different mantras that will tickle the ears of men. And so people have no problem today saying, yeah, I'm a sinner, because they, they have no idea of the sinfulness of their sin. They have no idea how much that offends God. And so by using the law, um, what that does is instead of someone simply saying, yeah, I'm a sinner, they have to come to terms with the fact that they're a liar. And they're not a liar because they lie. They lie because, by nature, they're a liar. And that is not as appeasing and and uh, palatable as uh, as just saying you're a sinner like everybody else. Right. And and so it, it's important to use the law in that way. And uh, Paul writes to Timothy, the law uh, the law is useful when it's used lawfully. Uh, we, we shouldn't be using uh, the law as a hammer to crush people or to make ourselves better, look better than someone else. We should be holding the law up as a mirror so that people can see how they truly appear before the just and holy God who will one day judge them in righteousness. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something you said earlier about Jesus presenting people with their sin, like you said about the the rich young ruler, he didn't mm-hmm. chase after him when right. the guy went away. He just let him be mm-hmm. and kind of give you a little bit of a, an offshoot question here, uh, kind sure. of off the, off the path, but it's gonna be a little solipsis. We'll get back to the flow of things when I, okay. but um, I'm Calvinistic or reformed in my understanding of salvation. You know, I subscribe Me too. to the doctrines of grace. I do as well. And, Calvinists are often criticized in what would seem like if man's not evolved with the process of salvation, there would seem to be no need for evangelism. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, how uh, do you handle this criticism and how do you, how do you maintain a deep passion for evangelism given that Calvinistic understanding? The two greatest commandments. God has commanded us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more loving we can do for God than to worship him in every area of our life. And that includes making him known. That includes lifting up the name, the only name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. We do what we care about. I'm looking right now at this beautiful picture of you and your little boy. And I could see the joy in your face and the joy in his face. And I would hazard a guess, Andy, that you talk often about your kids. I do. You too. I'm <laughs> sure you do. Do you, do, you, do you remember the first car you got? I do. What was it? It was my mom's 87 Plymouth Sundance. And, and, and how long ago was that? I was 16. I'm 35 now. So it was Okay, 19 so 19 years. So. years almost, almost two decades ago. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have to think. You knew immediately what that car was. I'm guessing that when you were given that car, you didn't hide it in the garage on the weekends. You didn't keep it a secret. But your buddies piled into the car, and you guys went out, and you're sitting proud behind the wheel of your car. Yeah, look at me. Look at my car. The point of all that is that that we talk about what we care about. We do what we care about. And if we say that we love God and we love Jesus, but we do not talk about him, then the likelihood is is that the truth is not in us. Right. Now, 
But then there's this, also the criticism that, well, if, if God is the one doing the saving and God is doing all the work 100% beginning to end, then what's the point in sharing? The, and I yeah. don't answer this, but I, yeah, I very want to simple. this out. Yeah, it's, it's very simple. God has commanded us to do it. Simple as that. God has commanded us to go and proclaim the gospel to every creature, uh, it, to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. He has commanded us to go and make disciples of every nation. And the mm-hmm. fact that God has told us to do something in and of itself is mm-hmm. enough reason to do it. Yeah. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. He has commanded us to share the gospel. We have no idea who the elect are. Um, God, being sovereign and all-knowing, knew what kind of havoc we would wreak if we had that information. Can you imagine what oh, we yeah. would do? Can you imagine what we would do if we had that information and we knew, we knew uh, specifically who were the goats and who were the sheep? And how quickly those goats would be marginalized and and uh, and I, disenfranchised. I can't even the surface of yeah, of imagining. Yeah, that would be exactly exactly. And and God, uh, being perfect in every respect, knew that we could not we could not handle that kind of information. And information brings power, and power brings corruption, and mm-hmm. and, and all of that. But this notion that if you hold to the doctrines of grace, there's no need to share the gospel is counterintuitive. And, and what I'm finding out on the streets is that the majority of those who are out there lovingly proclaiming the gospel hold to the doctrines of grace. Mm-hmm. That segment is growing more and more every day in the United States, the, this, this idea that Calvinists aren't evangelistic and that is somehow an argument against Calvinism is simply a straw man that has no, that has no validity right. uh, whatsoever. It's a logical fallacy. And, and if you look at, um, if you look at the, the great uh, evangelists throughout history, they weren't all Calvinistic, certainly. John Wesley was a great evangelist. But by and large... Uh, the men who were out on the streets proclaiming the gospel were men who held to the doctrines of grace. Mm-hmm. And Calvinists, because they know that God is sovereign in all things, are more likely to share the gospel with others because they're not relying on their ability to convert anybody. Right. That's such a great comfort. It, it is. Absolutely. When, when, I, when I came to understand the doctrines of grace and evangelism, it took all the pressure off of me to save anybody. Because I can't save anybody. Mm-hmm. And, and it brought me to the realization that the only time I fail in evangelism, if I'm doing it biblically, the only time I fail in evangelism is when I fail to evangelize. Amen. But God is sovereign over all of it. Salvations of the Lord. People ask me, I've been asked this several times, as many evangelists have, Well, how, and usually it's from someone who's, who's opposed to street evangelism and, and probably not doing anything themselves. But, well, how many people did you le- have you led to Christ doing it this way? And, and my answer is every single one of them. I bring everybody right up to the foot of the cross, and then I trust in the sovereign God of the universe to extend mercy to whom he'll extend mercy and grace to whom he'll extend grace. It's, it's not my responsibility to save. It's, it's my obligation out of love for my God and love for people to preach the gospel to everybody I can and trust that he will save whom he'll save.
That's a great attitude to have. I love that. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. I'd like to move on to uh, one-on-one. I want to talk about one-on-one versus street preaching because I know you do both, but mm-hmm. we'll start off with one-on-one evangelism. Okay. Uh, most Christians at some point at least try to share their faith with others. Mm-hmm. And most of us have talked to friends and family members about Jesus, but talking to total strangers can be scary to say the least. So could you share some advice in regards to talking sure. with on the street? Yeah. How do you break the well, ice? Uh, well, one of the, I think one of the things that is most helpful is uh, for Christians to dump this perception that it's the stranger who's hardest to talk to. The opposite is true. And this is why friendship evangelism, as it's so, in, at least in the way it's so commonly practiced, is such an utter failure in the United States. Mm-hmm. The people we fear sharing the gospel with the most isn't the stranger who we may see for one conversation and then never see again. It's with Aunt Molly who we're going to see every Thanksgiving. <laughs> and if this conversation goes south, Aunt Molly's going to have that look on her face every time I see her at Thanksgiving. And so we're actually more afraid to share the gospel with the people we're closest to because we're afraid to damage the relationships we've taken so long to cultivate. Mm-hmm. And and so in the end, the the status of that relationship, the status of that friendship becomes more important than the soul of the friend or the relative. And so it really is a misnomer that strangers are hardest to talk to. Now, it wasn't until I started talking to strangers that I realized that. Um, And it was very difficult at first because, you know, here in the United States, uh, in this generation, the generation before us, um, maybe even the generation before that, we've been raised to not talk to strangers. Don't talk to strangers. Our parents told us that, you know, you're going to go out to the park. Don't talk to strangers. And with the way children are disappearing today at alarming rates, parents are cautioning and rightly so don't talk to strangers. And we take that into adulthood Mm -hmm. and, and we continue that fear of not talking to strangers. People love to talk and they love to talk about their favorite subject And that favorite subject is themselves. (laughs) Absolutely. And so while it it may feel awkward or uncomfortable at first, what I try to get people to do, first thing, before they start sharing the gospel with anybody, I challenge them to simply go out and say hello to somebody they don't know. Stand in line in a grocery store and say hello to the person standing behind you or in front of you. And you'll see, you might see a shocked look on their face because you're a stranger and you're talking yep. to them. <laughs> um, but what you're quickly going to realize is uh, they're not dragging you out back behind the store and beating you to a pulp because you said hello to them, mm-hmm. uh, at least not here in the United States. And 
and once people start to do that, once they realize that they can actually say hello to somebody, engage a stranger in conversation, the other pieces will fall in place. And then I challenge the person to make a list of all of their fears. What, what are you afraid of when it comes to initiating a conversation with a stranger? And here are some of the common fears. Um, I'm afraid of objection or a rejection rather. I, you know, I, I, I'm going to go try to, um, I'm going to make myself vulnerable. I'm going to try to initiate a conversation with someone and they're going to say, get away from me. You're bothering me. Um, I'm not going to know what to say. I'm going to stumble and stammer over my words. Um, I might misrepresent Jesus. Um, I might say something that would lead someone away from Christ instead of toward Christ. Uh, I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to get hurt. And if you look at all of the most common fears, they are all about the Christian. They have nothing to do with the lost person. Uh, Our fears are about self-preservation. Our fears are about self-love. We're afraid to talk to other people about Jesus because we're afraid of what it might cost us. We're more concerned about our comfort or discomfort in the here and now than where that other person is going to spend eternity. Mm-hmm. And so when the light bulb went on for me, so to speak, was the day that I came to the realization that I love myself more than lost people. And that's why I wasn't ouch. sharing the gospel with them. Ouch. Uh, yeah. And, and that's what it was for me. It was an ouch. Yeah. And, and, and God bringing Uh, me to that realization and bringing me to repentance over that is what opened the door for me to begin sharing the gospel with strangers. Now, I get nervous every single time. Uh, I'm nervous when I engage someone in conversation. Uh, I'm I'm nervous uh, when I stand upon a box to, uh, to preach the gospel in the open air, and I've been doing that now for about seven years or so. And I'm nervous every time I do it. But I, I liken it to uh, to what a police officer deals with. The best, uh, let me start with the, the worst. The worst police officers on the streets, the most dangerous to themselves and to others, are the ones that say they have no fear. And that they get themselves into situations, they get in over their head, they overextend their own capabilities, the capabilities of their equipment, because they've convinced themselves that they're not afraid of anything. Mm -hmm. And so they act foolishly. The best police officers on the streets are the ones who have a reasonable anxiety and fear about the next call. But it's not enough to keep them from doing their job and doing it professionally and bravely. Mm -hmm. But it's enough to keep their eyes open, to keep them constantly aware around their sur- about their surroundings, uh, to keep them uh, relying on uh, their training, on their partners, and not relying simply on themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, as has been often said, courage is not the absence of fear, but it is doing that which makes us fearful in spite of the fear. Right. right. And, and so, if we apply that to evangelism, and if as Calvinists, for example, we truly believe in the sovereignty of God, then there's nothing we can do or say that could ever drive one of God's elect away from him. Right. We, there's nothing we can do. That doesn't give us license to run roughshod over people mm-hmm. and, and to make mistakes without caring about those mistakes we made. 
but this idea that that uh, salvation is somehow synergistic between man and God, uh, that that whole Arminian mindset has brought the American church to where it is today, uh, leading us into all kinds of problems. One, um, we think that there's something we can do to thwart the will of God uh, by saying the wrong thing, that somehow if God has predetermined from eternity past to save this person, that if we mishandle a scripture verse or we lose our cool or or something like that, that that is somehow going to remove this person from from being part of God's elect. Mm-hmm. And this other false notion that that causes Christians to make evangelism so much more difficult than it actually is, is the Christians assume that God needs our help. That the gospel in and of itself, the clear and loving uh, presentation of the gospel, is somehow insufficient uh, to in evangelism. The gospel, it has to be the gospel plus our ability to win friends and influence people. It has to be the gospel and our ability to entertain them and mm-hmm. keep them in the seats. It's, it's the gospel plus us being willing to do block parties and give free gifts away. It, it's the gospel and being willing to look like the world and talk like the world and sound like the world so that we can be relevant. Mm-hmm. All the while f- failing to remember that in no at no time in history has the gospel ever been relevant and sociably acceptable to a lost society. Not once. Yeah, that's a it's a weighty thought. I mean, we we wanna we wanna think that we're living in the worst of times, but when you really look at history, you understand that it's pretty much the normal. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and so. And and so we make evangelism, especially one-to-one conversations, we make evangelism much more difficult than it is because we add all these other works and yeah. methods and procedures and expectations, all that are merely traditions of the American church, none that can be supported by Scripture. And we add all of this to the simple proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it becomes so weighty and so cumbersome that Christians are just afraid and unwilling to do it. Mm-hmm. Simply walk up to somebody and ask them, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Mm-hmm. And if they and if they do, what are those? And and use that as a transition into the law and the gospel. And, and the worst this, that can happen is they say go away and you go find somebody go else. Away. That's right. We're not living we're not living in Orissa. Mm-hmm. We're not living in Pakistan. We're not living in Colombia. We're not living in Nigeria. We're living in the United States, where at least for the time being, we've yet to experience any real, authentic persecution. Mm-hmm. You know, we think we think that if a, if a police officer pulls us over for speeding, and we have a "No Jesus, No Peace" bumper sticker, that oh well, they pulled us over because we were a Christian. No, they pulled you over because you're doing forty-five and a twenty-five. <laughs> You know, you're not being persecuted. You're being held accountable for your sin. Yeah. And, and and so simply walking up to people and engaging them in conversation and being honest, it doesn't have to be a covert mission. Uh-huh. You, you don't you don't have to hide behind anything. I was just on a, a college campus this afternoon, and I was standing out there with a four-foot cross that said John 14, 6 on one side and way, truth, and life on the other. I was not undercover. <laughs> 
and and I was handing out gospel tracts, and I had an hour and a half, almost an hour and a half conversation with a kid uh, who was attending a, a a church locally, but has not yet come to repentance and faith in Christ, and answering some of his questions and explaining the gospel to him. Uh, we don't have to hide. We don't have to beat around the bush. We can. People want other people to be straightforward. Mm-hmm. They they know when people are being phony. They know when people are being something they're not. People are smart. People are intelligent. And they know when you're trying to pull a bait and switch on them. Mm-hmm. So simply walk up to people, be gentle, be kind, be yourself. Use the personality that God has given you. Don't try to have a New, New Zealand accent like Ray Cumber. <laughs> You know, and don't try to be seven feet tall like Todd Friel. Just be you. Mm-hmm. You know, God used 40 different authors over 1,500 years, over three continents, to pen his word within the cultural distinctives that they lived at that time. Uh, they they were politicians. They were fishermen. They, uh, you know, they were prophets. They were teachers. Uh, he used people where they were and inspired them to pen his God-breathed word. And so be yourself. You don't have to, you don't have to follow a script. Um, you don't have to sound like someone else. Mm-hmm. Be yourself. Have the love and the courage to simply walk up to someone and initiate that conversation. Now, what type it, of places do you like to go? I, I know you've mentioned the college campuses, but... Um... I love college campuses. The kids love to talk. <laughs> they do. They do. They're, and and they're, they're being so inundated with that which is false, mm-hmm. you know, secular and paganistic worldviews. Um, and Does much that end up of, presenting a lot of challenge for you then? Because... No, not, not really because they've never thought these things out. Mm-hmm. To simply ask someone, why do you believe that? is enough to cause uh, enough neurotransmitters to misfire in their brain that they're not sure what to do because they've never, never actually asked themselves that question. Yeah. Well, why do I believe that? Why do I believe that something exploded out of nothing and became the universe? Oh, why do I believe that? Well, because someone told me. And, and so college kids are actually really simple um, to talk to, really easy to talk to. And by and large, most of them are respectful young people who have questions about life and eternity. Um, we set up an evangelism table in our mall uh, most Friday nights. Mm-hmm. And we have the permission of our, our mall to do that. And the fish literally jump in the boat. We put out <laughs> Bibles and tracts, and, and uh, I have a flip chart on the table, you know, doing a couple of uh, mind games uh, uh, with people who come up, you know, just to break the ice. Yeah. But people are coming up to the table all evening long, and we're getting into great conversations. Um, bus stops. Uh, the uh, North Hollywood Metro Station is one of my favorite uh, fishing holes. Does that present uh, challenges knowing that people are about to jump on a bus and you maybe have 30 seconds or, or a minute? That's, to... one the, that's one of the beauties of gospel tracks. Mm-hmm. Gospel tracks can go where you can't. You may, you may not have the time to, to get into a lengthy conversation with someone, but it takes just a split second for them to take a gospel tract and maybe they'll put it in their purse or their their back pocket, and they'll read it on the bus or the train, or they'll read it when they get get to work. Uh, it's not our words that are the power of God to salvation; it's the gospel. And right, so, but it takes time to present the gospel. It That's does, right, up. right? But 
that that's why I'm saying that the gospel tracks are so yeah. so useful because if we don't have the time to verbally share the gospel with someone, they can read that gospel later on on a gospel tract, and it will be every bit as effective mm-hmm. because it is the gospel. Um, yeah. But oftentimes there are people. Um, they're at places like that. They may have to wait a half hour for the next bus. Uh-huh. You know, they may be waiting a while for a ride uh, to come and pick them up. And so they're, what's really they're looking for a way to kill time then. Exactly. So talking yeah. to you is, it's just a way to pass the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I no longer go to stores to buy things. I go, <laughs> I go to stores to share the gospel and then I pick stuff up while I'm there. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and it's 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 that change of mindset uh-huh. where evangelism becomes not something we do, but a way of life, mm-hmm. uh, a part of who we are. And, and you'll you'll begin to you'll begin to see the plethora of opportunities uh, around you in everyday life, whether you're at the the gas station or in the grocery store or at a doctor's office waiting in line in a post office. Uh, I've used my cell phone to effectively open air preach in Starbucks all over town. How do you do that? I arrange, I, I call a friend before I go into the Starbucks and I said, Hey, um, I want you to call me back in about five minutes. I'm going to be inside Starbucks. I'm going to be sitting at a table. I'm going to turn my ringer up as loud as it'll go. So everyone will know my phone's going off. And then you and I are going to have a gospel conversation. Uh, you, and I are going, you and I are going to talk about the things of Christ. And we're going to have a normal conversation. And I'm going to repeat some of what you're saying because those who are eavesdropping on the conversation, and that's what everybody does, uh-huh. those who are eavesdropping on the conversation, they're going to need context. So I'm going to give it to them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what people do. If you stand in line and you find yourself on your cell phone, You'll see people glancing at you when you say a certain thing, or, or you might even see them lean in your direction mm-hmm. because they, people are voyeuristic. They want to eavesdrop. They want to know what's going on in other people's lives. And people also want to tell the world about themselves. And so it's not out of the ordinary for people to be talking on the cell phone loud enough for other people to hear. Mm-hmm. So, So I'll do that in places where it would be uncouth and inappropriate for me to open air preach, but I can still share the gospel with strangers around me um, in places where the gospel might not be welcome. Now, now, doing something like that's not for everybody, but when you begin to love evangelism and when you begin to love sharing the gospel with lost people and you begin to love proclaiming Christ, it becomes a lot of fun. It, it, it sounds it, like I, the words or the phrase that came up in my head, and I just kind of like you twisting uh, common parlance, but it sounds like a human nature hack is what really what it is. You're hacking human nature. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's clever. And 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 you can do it in a way where uh, where you can be uh, where you can be pithy, where you mm-hmm. can use the sense of humor that God has given you. Not that you're putting on any acts. Not that you're trying to entertain anybody. But God's given us all personalities to glorify him. Mm -hmm. So be who you are. And and the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you love Christ, the more you are going to love lost people. Because Jesus loves people. Mm -hmm. He died for sinners. 
and and the the more we become conformed to the image of God's Son and our Savior, the more we're going to want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Evangelism is a natural byproduct of salvation. But, but the American church has so twisted what evangelism is or what it should be or how it should be done. It's dreaded mm-hmm. by most Christians. I think uh, some of us, you know, I am someone who came to Christ in college. And so some of us have that experience where we come to Christ and it's so exciting to all yeah. of a sudden know the Lord and know your Savior and just the veil comes down and you can see the world as it is. And the first thing you do when you've got that young Christian zeal is you run to everybody you know and you want to share it with them. Yeah. And of course, uh, you experience some people who think, you know, well, that's cool. I'm a Christian too. I'm glad to hear you join the club. And then you've got other people that look at you like you joined a cult. Right. And it's, I think a lot of us go through that phase where we're almost have that beaten back out of us pretty yeah. quickly. So it's kind of a challenge to get over that and then get back into doing what uh, I think Jesus calls our first love. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and you know what? It's the church that beats that out of people. It's not the lost. It's not the world that beats evangelism out of the Christian. It's mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. It's the church. We get... Uh, we get so comfortable in our Christian bubble, we forget about the lost. We uh, shield ourselves. We inoculate ourselves from the lost. We don't pray for the open chair. We get uncomfortable when the disheveled person walks into the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get uncomfortable when a new person in church is sitting in our seat that we've had for 15 years. (laughs) You know, and... And it becomes churchianity. And unfortunately, what elements... And now, the Bride of Christ is beautiful. It's imperfect. But the Bride of Christ is is beautiful. You know, we need to be very, very careful not to malign the Bride of Christ. That offends him. Mm -hmm. But there's so much out there today that uh, puts up appearances as if it is the Bride of Christ when it is little more than social clubs for the spiritually disobedient. Right. And so, so we convince people to, to go to a church. Uh, we're told that inviting people to church is evangelism mm-hmm. or inviting people to our small group is evangelism. Uh, but nothing is evangelism unless the gospel is being preached. Mm-hmm. And so people get comfortable. They see that we're normal, uh, AKA sinful like them. And uh, not, there's no real pressure put on them to change. And so they convert. But they don't convert to Christ. They convert to the church. Yeah. They convert to the Christian club. And I've heard this in baptism testimonies before, where people are asked to testify how they came to faith in Christ. And it sounds something like this. I was at a really low point in my life. And my friend Jane invited me to church. And I really love the messages, and I love the music, and everybody here was uh, is so warm and friendly. And when I got sick, they brought they brought meals to my house. And so, because of those things, I I decided to uh, to become a Christian and join the church, and that's why I'm being baptized today. Oh wow! 
nothing about sin or repentance or N- nothing. salvation. Right. Because no one's told them yet. Right. No one's told them yet. I want to share this video yeah. that I saw. It's, um, it's every time I watch this, this is very convicting because I have, I'm someone that has a hard time sharing my faith. And, um, I go through a lot of those things that we've been talking about tonight, that discomfort, that fear, um, all of that. And this video is, uh, by Penn Jillette and Penn, it's of Penn of Penn and Teller. Um, mm-hmm. He's a well-known magician. They have a show in Las Vegas. He's got TV shows. He does. He's done the Celebrity Apprentice. He's a very well-known atheist. This is not a Christian that we're going to be hearing. But he has an interesting perspective perspective on evangelism, on proselytizing, and I, I wanted to share it because it brings me conviction, and I think it's a strong motivator to want to break the ice and share the gospel with people. And I'm going to skip into it. It's about a five-minute video, and I'm going to skip past about a minute and a half into it because he's talking very slowly. <laughs> so uh, I'll just set it up. He's he's talking about a gentleman who walked watched one of his shows. I came up to him afterwards to to greet him, stood kind of off to the side and, and waited for everybody else to have their time to shake his hand and whatnot, and then walked up to him, and this is the conversation they had. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New Testament. It's part of the New Testament. little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. 
he was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. Hmm. So, uh, obviously, he's an atheist. He made that yeah. very clear. But uh, yeah. uh, That was powerful. Uh, I've seen it many times. Very, very powerful. Uh, for the record, uh, he's not an atheist. Uh, there is no such thing. <laughs> there are only those who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Uh -huh. um, so I, and and it, especially on college campuses, it it really ties people up on knots when they say I'm an atheist, and I say no, you're not. There are no atheists, there are no agnostics, there are no skeptics. The Bible says that you know that God exists, but because you hate God and love your sin, you suppress that truth by your unrighteousness. But to the point, um, what he said was very very powerful and very true, and sadly. There are many pastors in the United States who would mock him for saying that. Uh, how much do you have to hate a person not to proselytize? Um, sadly, in some you know, quasi-Christian circles today, it is uncouth. It is sociably unacceptable in the church to proselytize. I don't know how many times I've on college campuses, some of the some of the most well-known college campus ministries, uh, representatives of those ministries on different college campuses, have made it clear to me that they're not there to share the gospel. They're there to befriend the students and earn the right to talk about Jesus. <laughs> what a ridiculous, sinful, blasphemous notion that we have to earn an unsaved person's right, the right, uh, from, a, from an enemy of God, we have to earn the right from God's enemy to do what our king has commanded us to do. Amen. It's absolutely blasphemous. And, uh, and Penn Jillette gets it. He understands that if you, if you really believe, you will tell people. And if you don't tell people, not only do you not ultimately believe, but on some level, you hate people. And you love yourself more than, mm -hmm. more than you love them. Mm -hmm. And now, does that mean that the Christians who struggle to share their faith or the Christians who've been, who've been under bad teaching for many years who have told them that you should just live your life in such a way that people will ask you why, which will never happen because the spiritually dead who are actually or who are also spiritually blind can't see Jesus in you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there are Christians who are genuine followers of Jesus Christ, who have bought into these unbiblical traditions of evangelicalism, and so they're not out there sharing their faith on a regular basis. That doesn't mean they're unsaved. Um, but if you 
if you know, if you know that you are supposed to be out there proclaiming the gospel and you don't for whatever reason of self-preservation, then you ought to examine yourself to see if you're even in the faith. And I could say that because I had to come to terms with that in my own life um, a number of years ago. Do I really love Jesus this much where I'm willing to be a fool for Christ's sake? Mm-hmm. Where, I'm, where I'm willing to lose a job or lose a friend or lose money or lose comfort or lose reputation for the sake of making Christ known and because I don't want to see people perish in their sin. And I had to answer, the first time I asked that, I had to answer, no, I, I don't, I guess I don't love Jesus as much as I thought. I, I guess I don't love Ouch. people as much as I thought. Yeah. Ouch. Something's wrong and it's not with God, it's with me. Mm-hmm. And I had to come to repentance about that. It stings me, it does. I, I did want to talk a little bit about street preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, as if it isn't scary enough to share our faith one-on-one with strangers, which I guess you've just shown shouldn't be the case. Street preaching is something that you do a lot of, and it's it's scary to a lot of people. I, I know what it is to me. I've never done it, and it's it, uh, it it's a scary thought. But, it's scary to me, too. <laughs> I was encouraged when you said that earlier, that uh, that you get nervous every time. It's encouraging to to hear from somebody who does it all the time that you, you never kind of you kind of never get over that to some degree. And and I and I actually thank God for that because I experienced once a number of years ago uh, in a uh, public square in Burbank, California, uh, when I got up on the box fully confident that I was going to be able to handle this crowd and handle the hecklers. Um, I was going to show some of the new kids. Uh, who are just cutting their teeth. I'm going to show them how a street preacher really preaches. And I went up on that box with that arrogant, self-righteous, haughty attitude. And the Lord immediately blessed me with the worst heckler I'd ever had up to that date. And within a few minutes, everything deteriorated into a weeping and gnashing of teeth argument between two sinful men, and I was one of them. Mm -hmm. And it was in the midst of that that the Lord impressed upon my heart. Okay. Now, no words, obviously, but this was going on in my conscience. Wow. This is what it's like when you do it under your own power. <laughs> and, humbling and that experience, a very humbling experience. And so now I thank God for that nervousness because it causes me, uh, it causes me to pray more. It mm-hmm. causes me to rely on the Holy spirit more than myself. It causes me not to rely on my own strength. It causes me to remember that I am fallible, that I am sinful, that I am susceptible to falling at any given moment, and I need Christ to accomplish what I'm about to do. Yeah. So, so I'm glad I'm nervous. I, I get nervous when I'm not nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 that, and, and by God's grace, that quickly evaporates, at least for me, you know, after um, you know, maybe a minute or so. Yeah. You know that that begins to evaporate, and and um, and and I go about doing what God has set out for me to do, and that is proclaim the law and the gospel, and hopefully to love others and to not respond in kind when I'm reviled. Uh-huh. Um, but but that nervousness does ebb and flow. It sounds kind of so. like 
doing a podcast when you realize that people you don't know are listening. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, I <laughs> sure get some of that same feeling. Uh nervous for about a minute and then realize, oh wait, I can cut out anything I don't want people to hear. Yeah. <laughs> of course you can't do that on the no, not well. I mean, you, I could do that with the recordings if you need to, yeah. but you can't. But you, you can't do yeah. that on the box. Once, once the toothpaste is out of the tube, buddy, <laughs> there's no way you could put it back yeah. in. So, <laughs> so uh, how would you encourage people to to break that ice and get them to actually take the the risk and get up on the box and uh, and preach the gospel? Well, to a hostile world. First, I want to I want to assert. Uh, one thing I think is very important, and this is something God has been teaching me over time. Um, initially, I was of the mindset that everybody, every Christian should open air preach. Not that uh-huh. every Christian has to open air preach, but that uh, every Christian should, meaning meaning that uh, there's all you need to be is a Christian. Uh-huh. Um, and, and because of some of the problems I'm seeing, uh, in the street evangelism community, particularly with uh, some heresies that have crept in, like uh, Pelagianism and uh, sinless perfection, moral government theology, and the like, uh, in some quarters of the street evangelism community, not everybody should be getting up on the box to open air preach. Do you have to be an ordained minister to do this? No, I don't. I don't see a mandate for that uh, in Scripture. But this is this is not for uh, this is not for the Christian who who first does not know the gospel who who cannot articulate it in such a way as as to bring glory to Christ and to present it in a way that others will understand. Mm-hmm. It it is not it is not for the man who is neglecting his wife or his children. It's it's not for the it's not for the man whose house is is not in order. If if he's not loving his wife the way Christ loves the church, why should he assume that he is going to go out there and love Christ and lost people when he's preaching in the open air when he's not when he's not maintaining a biblical position on his primary ministry, which is his wife and his children, if he if he has any has any. Uh, so, in other uh, words, are you are you kind of saying that? Um... People should be at least qualified to be an elder. I mean, that almost sounds like it, um, and not necessarily have to be an elder, but should right. be well of the qualifications. Is well, that it seems to, well, to match? You know, here's in a sense, yes, because the only models for leadership, the only specific blueprint for leadership we have in the Bible, is found in the pastoral epistles. Mm-hmm is found in the qualifications for someone to lead a church, uh, to be an elder in a church, to be an overseer, to be uh, a pastor, to be a shepherd. Now, that is a calling. Uh, you know, the, the, the outline in 1 Timothy 3 of what are the qualifications for an elder begins with Paul asserting to Timothy, if any man aspires to be an elder, it is a noble thing that he seeks to do. Mm-hmm. And, and so serving... Uh, as an elder is a calling upon the person who wants to serve that way, and an elder is also called by the other elders in the church. But all of those, um, all of those character qualities of an elder, should not every Christian be modeling those qualities? Right. 
you know, um, uh, should not every uh, man of God seek to be able to teach the Word of God? That doesn't mean he has to be a seminary professor. It doesn't mean he has to be a teaching pastor or a teaching elder. But shouldn't he be able to teach his children the Word of God? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't he be able to open the Bible with a friend and help them to understand the Word of God? Shouldn't they be able to open the Bible and explain the gospel to a lost person by pointing them to the Word of God? I think every Christian should aspire to that. Right. Should Should every married man be a one-woman man? Should every father have his house in order and children who are respectful and obedient? Shouldn't every Christian man not be a drunkard? Uh, you know, or a reviler or argumentative? Should, shouldn't every Christian man seek to be above reproach, which means that no one um, outside the church can bring a sustainable case against you? Every Christian man should should want to attain that level of spiritual maturity, whether they're an elder or not. Mm-hmm. And so should the man who presumes to stand on a box to proclaim the gospel in the open air. When I get up on a box, for me, that is a pulpit. Mm-hmm. I, ask, I ask God to consecrate that ground and to make it holy with his presence because his gospel is going to be preached. That is a weighty thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, don't let, I don't let just anybody get up on my box. I've, I've disappointed Christians who have come up and said, wow, I really appreciate what you're doing. Can I give it a try? No, I have no idea who you are. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, I'm a brother in Christ. I don't know who you are. You know, if, if if when I was pastoring the church plant, someone walked into the church and said, Pastor, I have a word. Can I share? No, you can't. We'll talk after church. <laughs> Please stop interrupting the proclamation of God's word. Yeah. Um, and so it's a very weighty thing to be out there on the streets. And another important thing is that uh, no man who... It's not under the authority of the local church, of a local church, has any business serving Christ as some type of nomadic evangelist, um, being a law unto himself and uh, and uh, being his own teacher mm-hmm. and being accountable only to himself. Um, the, the, what God has given his people uh, for their protection and for their accountability and for their spiritual growth is the the specifically testified to organism known as his church. And he has laid out specific ways that that church is supposed to be led and shepherded and nurtured and how Christians are to interact within that assembly. And we are to be in submission to the godly leaders that God has placed in our lives through the leadership of the local church. And any person who is unwilling to submit uh, to a body of believers that way has no business proclaiming the gospel in the open air. Mm. Now, for the person who wants to begin open air preaching and is petrified of doing it, uh, one thing that I've encouraged people to do that is that has started a number of people on the road to open air preaching is simply going out somewhere in public opening your Bible, and reading it aloud. Just reading your Bible out loud so people can hear. Pick your favorite passage of Scripture. Pick your favorite chapter. Pick your favorite book and read. 
Don't worry about inflection. Don't worry about eye contact. Don't worry about expanding on, expounding on the text. Don't worry about um, dealing with hecklers. Don't worry about answering questions. Read the Bible. Interesting get advice. Your, That's get, nice. just, just get your feet wet yeah. of opening your mouth in public. Yeah. Read your Bible. God's word never returns void. Mm-hmm. And, and his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Bible preaches better than any sermon I could ever <laughs> preach about the Bible. Uh-huh. So read your Bible. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Um, watch others open air preaching. Watch the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, so you can, um, as one pastor told me, you can chew on the meat and spit out the bones. Mm-hmm. Um, learn by watching others, uh, others doing it. Read about open air preachers. Uh, of old, men like Whitfield and and uh, Wesley, um, men you may not have realized were open air preachers. Um, you know, obviously Spurgeon. Everyone knows him as the prince of preachers. In fact, in his college, and we learn about this in in his book, lecture to my students, that it was a requirement for his students to open air preach <laughs> because if they were unwilling to preach to the masses in the street, he didn't believe that they were qualified to assume the pulpit. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of and, sense. And, yeah. so, and so read about open-air preaching. Yeah, those, are, those are a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, find, uh, you know, if you can, uh, find godly open-air preachers who can mentor you either near or from, from afar, who are willing to invest in your life, uh, who are willing to give you advice, who are willing to listen to your audios, and uh, tell you when you're blowing it, mm-hmm. um, and to, and encourage you when you're doing it right. Um, I, I sometimes would look crazy, I think, in my neighborhood because <laughs> when I was relatively new to open air preaching, I would go and take long walks and I would preach quietly, but I would preach to myself and I would heckle myself <laughs> and I would answer and I would answer my objections, and then every once in a while I'd heckle myself and go, "Wait a minute, I don't have an answer for that <laughs> one," and I'd go back home and study. Um, study the last question asked. If you're out on the streets or if you're in a conversation with somebody and they ask you a question and you don't know the answer, don't wing it. They're going to know you're lying. Simply say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Swallow your pride. Swallow you know, your, your own arrogance and self-righteousness and admit that you don't know everything. And simply say, I don't know. And then go and study the last question asked. Mm-hmm. And then next time you're asked that question, you're going to be better equipped um, to answer, um, do a little legwork before you go out. Don't call your city. Don't call your municipality and say, hi, my name's Andy. I, I want to go open air preach out in the streets. And I was wondering where the best place would be to do that. Well, you're likely going to get some God hater on the phone who's going to say, well, we don't allow that here in our city, which is completely untrue mm-hmm. and unconstitutional. But most, um, most municipalities, they have all of their local ordinances online. You can find out if amplification is allowed, what times. Um, in the United States, if, if you're on public property, and that is property maintained with tax dollars, you have the right to free speech. It doesn't matter if it's in front of a business. It doesn't matter if it's a public park. If, the, if that area is maintained by public funds, it belongs to you. And the laws of the land say you're allowed to open your mouth and speak your mind. 
the caveat being what you just said about things like amplification. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and you, you want to go out there with a hard attitude that says, I'm not looking to defend my rights. Mm -hmm. I want to preach the gospel. God has given us the right to die to self and to die for him. All these other rights are meaningless mm -hmm. eternally. Yeah. The the right to free speech, the right to bear arms, um, the right to arm bears. You know, <laughs> while, while they're, they're all rights that we hold dear, God has given us the right to die. Yeah. He's given us the privilege to die. He's given us the privilege to follow Peter and John's lead when they told the religious leader under threat of of beatings or worse to stop preaching the name of Christ, and they said we must do what God has called us to do. You, you determine whether or not we should obey you or obey God. Mm -hmm. They went on to preach the gospel. And ultimately, they all but John, they gave their lives for it. So when you're out there and you have an opportunity to interact with police, your goal should not be to win the right to preach, but to win that officer over to your position. If an officer says to you, you know, Andy, uh, you know, Mr. Olson, if you would just move 10 feet to the left, so you're not standing right in front of the front doors of this business, everything's fine with us. Well, if you stand there and say, I have the right to be here because this is a public sidewalk, then you don't care about anyone hearing the gospel. You care about your rights. Yeah. So you move 10 feet, yeah. you obey the, you obey the governing authorities. You you present uh, a good testimony before lost people of your faith in Jesus Christ, and uh, and I've written extensively about that about dealing with police, obviously because of my my background in law enforcement. But when it's all said and done, Andy, and this is this was the best advice anyone gave to me as I hemmed and hawed for months about where I would preach. You know, I eventually decided on a place 60 miles from home so no one would know me. <laughs> so none of my former partners would come up to me and say, boy, Tony, you have lost it. You retired and now you're screaming at people on the street corner. Ultimately, the best advice I ever received was swallow my fear and go do it. Yeah. L lick your wounds. Um, try to get people to go out with you. That's very difficult. Uh, many people believe that because of uh, all the open-air preaching I've done and the ministries I've served with that I must have people around me all the time uh, when I'm out sharing the gospel. Nobody was with me today. I went to NoHo, the North Hollywood Metro Station, went outside of an abortion clinic, went twice to our local community college, and I did that alone. More often than not, I'm alone when I go out and I do my evangelism. I'm blessed from time to time to have a few uh, guys uh, as part of my team uh, when I go out. And that's always a blessing. But most of the time, I'm alone. But if you can get somebody to simply come out and pray with you, pray for you, be eyes and ears for you so you don't you know, take a burrito to the back of the head or something, uh, and, and let them know, look, I'm not going to throw you under the bus. I'm not going to make you hand out any tracks. I'm not going to force you into conversations. I'm certainly not going to make you preach. Uh -huh. But it's but it's lonely out here. Yeah. Would you please just out with me and keep me company? You know, have some fellowship with me. Pray for me because I'm scared when I'm out there. <laughs> you know, well, and, and that said, how like if 
if I happen to have any listeners in your area that would be interested in coming out and uh, getting their feet wet, how open are you to uh, bringing strangers along with? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I love it. I love it when, when Christians come out mm-hmm. with me. Um, and again, it, it, for those who are listening, if uh, if we've never met beyond an email or Facebook or or you're a caller on my show or something like that, you're not getting on my box to preach. <laughs> yeah. So just get over it. You're not getting on my box to preach. But if we're if you're out there with me for time and I and and I've heard you present the gospel to people one to one, I've had time to uh, talk to you to invest in your life then I'll be encouraging you to get up there if that's what you want to do. Um, but yeah, I welcome Christians to come out and join me, to be a rent crowd um, to just pray, to learn, uh, to encourage, um, to hand out tracts, whatever they want to do. Um, yeah, I would love that. And uh, um, my website is dot com, And uh, there's access to my email and, and the ways to get a hold of me, and so if anyone's in the greater Los Angeles area that would that would like to that would like to uh, come out and keep me company, I'd love to have the company. Awesome. Well, we're uh, coming up on time, um, so I like to ask if there's any parting thoughts, anything you want to say before we close that we might not have gotten to. Yeah, most Christians believe that Jesus will return at any moment. I think we should believe that. Uh-huh. I think we should believe that Jesus Christ could return at any moment. Anyone who presumes to know the time is a fool, and the truth of God is not in them. Um, but if we honestly believe that Christ is going to return, shouldn't we then have a sense of urgency in our hearts to proclaim the gospel to the lost? Now, that doesn't violate our beliefs in the doctrines of grace that we hold dear because they're biblical, mm-hmm. uh, this, this sense of urgency, for we do not know who the elect are. But we should want to proclaim the gospel to every creature whenever we can, as often as we can, as soon as we can. Uh, not because we are in any way going to undermine or thwart or rearrange or change the sovereign will of God, but because we love people. Mm-hmm. And because we don't want anybody to perish in their sins. And since we don't know who the elect are, then we need to go out and tell everybody. And the most loving thing we will ever do for another human being is to speak the truth in love to them by sharing the gospel with them. If you put a, a coat on a homeless man's back, you've done a loving thing. If you've built a house for a poor family that lost their house in a flood or an earthquake, you've done a loving thing. If you've put food into the stomach of hungry people, you've done a loving thing. And Christians should love people in that way. But if you have done all of those things without sharing the gospel, you have merely made people feel better on their way to hell. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to serve people, and you should, then go serve them as a means of getting the gospel to them. If you want to befriend people, do that as a means of getting the gospel to them. Preach the gospel. Share the gospel with everyone you can while God has given you time.
Thank you so much. Given us a lot to think about. Said some things that frankly sting, even me. You mentioned your website. Uh, is there other uh, resources or, or whatnot that you'd like to share for people? Uh, well, I know you have a YouTube like, channel. Uh, yeah, like you, I have, a, I have a program on uh, Blog Talk called uh, Across Encounters Radio. It's uh, on every Sunday night. Uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, we focus primarily on biblical evangelism and and uh, and uh, theology and what have you. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, when they're not listening to your show, they're welcome to come listen to mine. Uh, yeah. But uh, beyond that, uh, if they just go to the Timiana website, it'll point them to the YouTube, to the sermon audio page where they can download open airs and one-to-one conversations and sermons and things like that. Yep. All, all of the various resources are available there. And I'll have show notes uh to, to um, put out an outline of what we discussed, and I'm going to have links to those resources and additional resources as I find them. You had a lot of stuff on your YouTube page and your sermon audio page, uh, a lot of great stuff if anybody's interested in hearing Tony out on the streets at the colleges or street preaching, both one-on-one and, and uh, on the box. Uh, got a lot of stuff there, and I wanted to include some audio, but just – came to the conclusion that it wasn't appropriate uh, as far as time goes. Uh, I would have had to put probably a yeah, third of the I, show I, just into like one clip. And Yeah, brevity is not my strong suit. Yeah. Well, that's not <laughs> your fault. That's just kind of the nature of of, of what you do. and uh, Just doesn't fit well in an hour-long show. So. Sure. Uh, but thank you so much. I, I so much appreciate your time and well, thank your you wisdom. Thanks for having me. And well, God bless you, Andy, and, and God bless you and your program and your ministry and your wife and your kids. And and uh, go serve go serve our king, as our tall friend would say. Amen. <laughs> That's my discussion with Tony Miano. For show notes, including an outline of the discussion, scriptures referenced, and additional resources, visit echozoe.com slash 56. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a comment or would like to contribute a question to an upcoming interview, Leave us a voicemail. You can do so by calling area code 425-906-4908. Whenever possible, we'll announce upcoming topics and guests so that you can offer questions for the show. You can find those announcements on the website or on our social media sites. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or add us to your Google Plus circles to get the latest news and announcements from Echo Zoe Ministries. That wraps up episode 56. Thanks again for listening. Lord willing, we'll be back again next month to kick off 2013 with the January episode.